2020 seems to have just flown by, hasn't it? We are now approaching the end of the year, and many of us have found this year challenging, having to adjust to the many changes and transitions. Just when you thought that you have got it, things change again. And as the year draws to a close, as we enter this Advent season, it will be good if we can reflect on what, or rather who, that is secure and unchanging. Our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. The word Advent means arrival. It describes a situation where something or someone long awaited for is finally here. So in the next four Sundays before Christmas, as a church, we will be looking at four passages out of the Old Testament book of Isaiah. We will think on how these passages tell us that a son is given. And remember and rejoice with the hope that our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, has come. So join us for our Sunday services as we prepare our hearts for Christmas. You can either invite your friends to come here or send them the link for our Advent messages as we look forward to Christmas. So let me pray for us as we look at the first passage from Isaiah this morning. Father God, open our eyes to see the wonderful things in your word. May your Holy Spirit tutor us in your truths and cause the affections in our heart to arise as we see Jesus Christ more clearly. Help us to follow Jesus and to walk in your ways so that we increasingly reflect you and your glory. Do this for your name's sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Your church, I confess that I have not been praying for the COVID-19 situation recently. At the start of the pandemic, I was praying regularly for the people involved in the COVID-19 problem. But of late, I have become complacent. Trusting instead in the collective efforts of Singaporean, of our Singaporean leaders and people, and my I say, taking pride in our self-achievements in this fight against the virus. Now, I think to myself, we're doing quite well, right, compared to the rest of the countries in the world. But my friends, isn't this our common failure? When things are going fairly well, we trust in our own efforts. We take pride in our own achievements and we forget about God. And in doing so, we fail to exalt God. And we see this time and again in our lives, don't we? In our studies, when we do well. In our work, when we are successful. In our families, when we seem to be achieving the Singapore dream. We become prideful. And we fail to magnify God. So how can we fight our failure to exalt God and battle our pride? when things are going well, when things are going okay. On the other hand, I can still remember my discouragement and yes, even some despair during the COVID-19 circuit breaker lockdown. 
I don't know about you, but the two, three months I was really struggling and suffering. And, and we see this again, time and again, when the brokenness of the world seemed to overwhelm us. In our work, where the relentless grind seems never enough. In our marriages and our relationships, where conflicts abound. In our personal walk with God, when we give in to sin yet again, we become discouraged and we fail to trust God. We fail to exalt Him. So when things are not going well, how can we battle giving in to despair and hopelessness? And this is where God's word to us this morning through the prophet Isaiah will speak to this very issue. Though we'll be focusing mainly on Isaiah chapter 2 verses 1 to 5 and chapter 4 verses 2 to 6, we will take a very quick tour of Isaiah chapter 2 verse 6 to 4 verse 1. This is because the two passages that we, uh, were read to us by Carol this morning, uh, chapter 2 verses 1 to 5 and 4, 2 to 6, they are bookends of a more extensive section going from Isaiah 2, 1 to 4, 6. And I put up the passages on the slide in front of us. Okay? So we see that the first section tells us the ideal Jerusalem, what was meant to be. The middle section, which we will just briefly cover today, tells us of God's condemnation of Jerusalem's failure and pride. And then it ends with this bookend of a new hope, a new Jerusalem, and what would yet be. And we need to understand, in order to understand the two bookends which we'll be looking at today, we need to understand the in-between because it gives us the context. It helps us what the bookends are meant to do and helps us know the original author's meaning and purpose. So what do we see in this entire section? We, we see that Isaiah is telling us that God is a God of hope. He will restore the hope of Israel to his Davidic Messiah King. And because of God's sure and beautiful promise hope to come, God's people, all of us, we are to walk in the light of this hope. Hope that God will accomplish His future plans, will both rebuke our pride in our achievements and encourage us in our despair. We'll cover the both bookends in details, but briefly touch on Jerusalem's failure and pride in the rest of this message. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 2. For those of you at home watching online, you can open and share the Bible with your family. You know, when I was a teacher, which seems almost a lifetime ago, one of the things my school liked to organise were talks by former students. Okay? You know, and, and these former students they invite were students that uh, became successful in their careers. Okay? And, and the aim of these talks were to point current students to what they could be. So look at the ex-students, former students, this is what they achieved, this is what you can be. Okay? They encouraged the students who were struggling. But for my form class, my form class, I, yeah, I love them. But uh, for two years, they gave me the form class which were uh, 
were the most challenging. Okay? So for my form class, these talks were actually meant to wake up their idea. Okay? To prompt them to confront their complacency and the lack of academic ambition. Okay? They, were, they gave me a sports class, so the only ambition they had was to play sports. Okay? They didn't really care much about their studies. Okay? You see here as well, the aim of Isaiah in writing chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. He has a similar aim. By showing God's people of, in Judah, of Judah, God's plan for them, what they were meant to be as a nation, Isaiah is emphasizing what they currently are not. Okay? By showing them what they should, could be, he's showing them what they are not and rebuking them for their pride and for their failure to follow God. In essence, Isaiah, by, by sharing this, by talking and giving this, this few verses, is calling on them to wake up their idea. And this is what we see in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 1. This is what Isaiah writes. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Isaiah tells us that he received these following verses by divine revelation. God revealed his word to him. And Isaiah writes of matters concerning God's people in Judah and Jerusalem. Judah is a southern kingdom of the nation of Israel, comprising the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. Though this passage does not clearly tell us when this was written, if we flip a few pages after Isaiah 6, which comes after, we see that Isaiah 6 was written when King Uzziah died. Moreover, if we look at this passage itself, this, this section, in Isaiah 2.7, it tells of Judah being filled with treasures. In Isaiah 3.18-24, it speaks of the finery that the daughters of Zion possess. These passages by Isaiah correspond to the condition during the reign of King Uzziah. And why is this important? Because during this time, Judah's military was strong. And the land was experiencing stability and a measure of, of prosperity. Judah was facing the challenge of good times. Very much like Singaporeans or Singapore. Sometimes we realize it may be even more difficult to follow God when times are good. And Isaiah 2 continues, It shall come to pass in the later days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. This is amazing. Okay. Isaiah peels back the pages of the future and gives us a glimpse of what it will be like. So the latter days, in the latter days, it, it looks forward to the future. It describes the glorious completion, consummation of God's purposes on earth. It tells us of the perfect completion of God's plan, ushered in by His anointed Messiah. And, and if you know where Mount Zion is, the mountain, the house of the Lord of Mount Zion, it wasn't actually physically very high. Okay? However, Isaiah was using language that tells of the spiritual importance and the preeminence of the place that God was pleased to reveal Himself. And this will come to pass. 
as Mount Zion will be established by God. And it will be attractive. We see here, all the nations shall flow to it. The nations doesn't come by external pressure or coercion. They come because of the attractiveness of Mount Zion's God-given radiance and appeal. And the language used here talks about like a river, water, flow of visitors flowing against gravity uphill. What we see here is the outworking of the promise of blessing to nations given to Abraham in Genesis 12.3. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This promise is restated here by Isaiah. But, but this is not all. Verse 3 continues. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us His ways, that we may walk in His path. For our Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And the people shall come, not as tourists when, you know, in the times where we used to be able to travel f- uh, freely. You see tons of tourists in Israel. So people will come. They are not as tourists, but they are re- motivated by religious devotion. Instead, the desire to go to God's temple so that God may teach us His ways. They wanted God's instructions. But note there, they were not content with a mere gathering of information. They intended to put their knowledge into practice in, in their lives as they walk in His paths. What we see here is that the religion at the end of days will express itself as conduct based on knowledge. They will apply what they know. God's word will echo out, will reverberate out from Jerusalem to the nations. And if you remember our time in the Gospel of Luke, Luke 2.32 writes that Jesus was the light of revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus comes to bring this light of revelation to the nations. You know, if, if this was all, we could take comfort in it already. But this is not all. Because Isaiah continues in chapter 2, verse 4. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. We see here the promise that in, in, the, in those days, God Himself will be their judge. He will judge and make peace among the nations so that there will be no war. Instead, there will be flourishing as weapons of war and destruction will be converted into tools for farming and cultivating the land. This time of the universal rule of God is seen as a time where the curse of the fall that we see in Genesis 3, the curse of the fall sin, this sin-twisted earth, will be reversed. This will be a time and era of peace when the nations heed God's instructions and make peace. And finally, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 5. This, this is a pivotal verse. This verse 
it attaches itself to the verses before it, but it also provides the basis for what the prophet goes on to say in the middle part of this section. Isaiah tells us, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. My friends, the prophet Isaiah is not content with just laying out the future hope for the people of God in Judah. He goes on to rebuke them regarding their present conduct and exhort them to walk in the light of the Lord. The prophet invites the people of God to join him on this journey with God. And and what does it mean to walk in the light of the Lord? Walking in this light involves acting and behaving in ways that conform to God's covenant instruction so that in doing so, they will enjoy the blessing of God's favour shining upon them, both at the present and in the future. However, as we look at the subsequent verses that comes after this, this beautiful vision of what was meant to be was not actually happening in Judah. The people of God in Judah, they have let the good times they were experiencing dull their desire for what was meant to be. They have become complacent and forgotten God's plan for them. My friends, as I I read this, (laughs) this is so convicting because this oftentimes describes us too, doesn't it? Even though this is a challenging year, we have faced COVID-19 and the financial turmoil it brings. Still, things in Singapore are better compared to the rest of the world. We are relatively better, we are relatively more stable. So my friends, this reminder to us from Isaiah this morning is a reminder for us not to become dull to the things of God and become complacent. My friends, have you become faint of desire and complacent? Let God's future plans of what was meant to be keep it continually before our sight. And how do we do so? We can do so by a consistent intake of God's revealed word, the Bible. But we sinners are forgetful people. That's why community is so important for us. We need others to remind us I encourage you then to gather for Sunday service if you can. Yes, I know we are in COVID-19 times, but after taking all the necessary precautions, let us desire, let us yearn to come to get back together. This is so that we can sit under, together under the Word of God, we can participate in worship, and more importantly, we can remind one another of God's future hope that is to come. That's why I'm so encouraged to see some faces here whom I haven't seen in a couple of uh, weeks. This is, this is what we come to do together. But my friends, there is more. It's not just benefits for us by helping us remind ourselves of God's future hope for us, but there is more. Because when we gather together, we as an assembly of God's people, picture what Isaiah 2, 3 points to. The nations coming to God's uh, uh, mountain to worship Him. And this is made much clearer in Revelation 7 9. 
After this, I look, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nations, from all tribes, people, and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands. It's such a joy and privilege, my friends. Get this, when we gather, we as a church give a preview of this future reality to others. Okay? Others watching in, they will see what will one day happen in the last days when the nations gather to worship God before His throne. So when we gather, we give not only us, but others looking in, this kind of glimpse of what will happen in the future. <laughs> and this is such a privilege for us. This is why we also encourage all members of Grace Baptist Church to gather in CGs. There are still restrictions to the numbers of Grace. There are um, numbers of members of Grace Baptist Church that can gather for Sunday service. You know, it's still a maximum of hundred, uh, and we continue to respect that and, and submit to the government regulations. But because of these restrictions, we should therefore make every effort to gather in community in our CGs. We need to remind one another of the anticipated completion of God's plan when Christ comes back again. The poet William Butler Yeats understood our modern world. In the second coming, he wrote, Things fall apart. The centre cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loose upon the world. The blood deemed tight is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The poet Yeats wrote this poem in 1919. At that time, the engines of war, freed from the restraint of mercy, had unleashed the bloodiest century of history so far as seen in World War I. And what irony, this comes after the voicing of hopes of many that the 20th century will be a period of progress. And this, is, and this is what Isaiah paints for us as well. After painting a picture of what Judah was meant to be, Isaiah now writes of the actual situation that Judah and Jerusalem were in. You know, this, this is uh, quite a number of verses. What I'll do is I'll just briefly give a sketch of Isaiah 2, 6 to 4, 1. And I'll leave you all to read the rest of this extended passage on your own. What we see here in this passage, Judah and Jerusalem had failed to exalt God. Instead, they were pridefully exalting their own self-achievement. We see this in Isaiah 2.11. And they were pursuing idols made by their own hands. We see this in 2.8. They, they rely on their own support and self-supply. Isaiah 3.1. And this has led them into oppression of one another. Isaiah 3.5. And moral sin. Isaiah 3, 9. The nation of Israel, they were certainly not the nation of priests to the nations around them that God had called them to be in Exodus 19, 6. As a result, God rejected His people. God condemned what was going on and will bring judgment on Judah and Jerusalem. This is bad news for the nation 
of Israel. Isaiah writes in this section from 2.6 to 4.1, and he, he looks deeply into the mass and social integration that Judah faced. But amid the bad news, he sees God there. Now we, we see God speaking bluntly to his people about the mess his people are in right now. God confronts his people. But this stands in the broader context of grace. God will save his people. God will bless the whole world. God is moving us towards the day of the Lord where he will finally reveal himself when Christ comes again. My friends, before we understand the good news of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, we need to understand the bad news. The bad news, the reality is that we have all failed in keeping God's instructions, committing what the Bible calls sin. We are prideful. We have exalted ourselves rather than magnify God. We have de-God God by pursuing idols and our own agendas and not giving God the glory, the weight that He deserves. The idea of glory means giving God the weight that He deserves. As a result, we justly deserve God's condemnation and judgment. We deserve to be brought low. We deserve God's taking away our support and supply. We deserve the terror of the Lord falling on us. But, but God offers grace. And this is what we see next in Isaiah chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. What will yet be? My friends, imagine with me that you're going on a long-anticipated holiday. Especially since many of us haven't been on holiday a long while, we're all yearning for that, right? Imagine that you're going for a long anticipated holiday and to a location that is on your top five to go list. I'm sure many of us keep lists of places we would like to visit in our lifetime. So, going to a place that's among your top five lists. You know, I, I know COVID 19 has dealt, uh, uh, has been uh, stopping us from travel, but imagine that COVID 19 has been dealt with. Air travel and tourism resumes. Now, imagine the run up to your holiday. Everything changes, right? Things suddenly look better and brighter. You're, you're more diligent and careful at work, making sure that the things that you're doing are done well so that you will have peace of mind with regards to your work uh, during your holidays. You don't want to be thinking about work matters during your holidays. No? Your interaction with your fans, friends and family suddenly become happier. You, you talk excitedly about your upcoming trip. Your interactions with them are seen in a light that in a few days you'll be sipping an exotic drink, no alcohol, we are Baptists here, okay, by a beautiful lakeside resort. This hope of a lovely, long-anticipated holiday will change the way you act and feel. This is what Isaiah hopes to achieve in Isaiah chapter 4, verses 2 to 6, when he writes of what will yet be that this hope of this beautiful future fulfillment of God's plan for His people 
will motivate and change the thought, feeling, and behaviour of God's people. So despite the mess and sin of Judah and Jerusalem, God's plan for His people cannot be thwarted. He will bring a new hope to Israel. Isaiah writes in this book end, again of that day. We see this in Isaiah chapter two verse, uh, chapter four verse two. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivals of Israel. In that day, the day of completion of God's plan and the second coming of Jesus Christ. The branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. The language used here by Isaiah points to the anointed one, the anointed one of the Lord, the Davidic Messiah. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. He will be beautiful and glorious. And when He comes, He will bring flourishing. The land will flourish. The survivors of Israel will be honoured by the abundance of the fruit that fruit from the land. But this is not all, just all. It's not just creation that has been restored. Isaiah chapter 4, verse 3 to 4 continues. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the blood stain of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment, and the spirit of burning. The faithful remnant of Judah will be set apart by God as holy and, and wholly devoted to God. Their names will be recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life and they will be received into the new heavens and the new earth. But this is not of their own doing or own effort. Because he says here that God Himself will wash away the filth of their sin and cleanse the blood stains of guilt by His Spirit. God will discern and judge sin and remove all evil from His people. And the good news, my friends, is this. God has already done this for us through the judgment for our sins that fell on His Son, Jesus Christ. At the cross, Christ spilled His blood to make atonement for our sins. The stains of our sins has been removed from those of us who have placed our trust in Jesus. And when God has finished His necessary purifying work, He will dwell with His people. Isaiah continues in Isaiah chapter 4, verse 5 to 6. Now, when I read this, I can't help but be moved. Because the entire Bible, the fact that God will be our God and we will be His people comes through here. Verse 5, Then the Lord will create over the whole side of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke and, and smoke and a shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a canopy. There will be a booth for shade by day from the heat and for a refuge and a shelter from the storm and rain. Those of us who... Who are, who are sensitive to this, we realize that Isaiah uses language that recalls the Exodus event. When God was present with His people as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Isaiah tells us that God Himself 
will be present with His people. God's glory present will extend over the whole of Mount Zion and there will be a canopy. And the word used here is often used to refer to a marriage chamber. It recalls God's marriage covenant with His people. God's very presence will protect and shade His people and be a refuge and shelter for those He loves. You know, after the bad news of Isaiah chapter 2, verse 6 to 4, verse 1, we see God's grace. As Bible teacher John L. McKay writes, the Jerusalem which is described here is not one that has been on this earth or that will ever exist in this sin-twisted world. It's the Jerusalem of the new heavens and the new earth. The language of the marriage canopy over Zion points to those who are citizens of this new Jerusalem as constituting the church, which is the bride of Christ. Is their names that have been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb, and who have the right, who have the right to enter the city. The bride of Christ will be cleansed so as to be holy and without blemish. The city will be enveloped in radiance caused by the presence of God in the midst of His people. And the presence of God will not be localized in a temple, but will be enjoyed throughout the whole site of the city. This is the imperishable inheritance which God makes to His people and gives to His people once He completed the work of cleansing and renewing them through the work of Christ. My friends, this is the hope we look forward to at the completion of God's plan. This is our hope and this hope is not dependent on our efforts and achievements. God Himself will do it. He will realize our hope. God cannot be thwarted and this is God's grace to us. My friends, ask yourself, how would the hope of my future gain in Christ change the way I think, feel and behave right now? This hope of the completion of God's plan and the return of Jesus Christ, this should encourage some of us to persevere when we are in despair, when we despair amid our challenges and suffering. This same hope also rebukes some of us lest we take pride in our own self-effort and achievements. The fact that God Himself establishes and brings His plan for us to perfect completion should humble us and cause us to turn to exalt and magnify God. But my non-Christian friends who are visiting with us, you, you may be asking, but, but how can I access all these promises? How can I make this hope Mine. My friends, you can only access this hope through Jesus Christ. God who loves us has a beautiful plan for our future. But in our pride, we have turned away from God and we follow our own ways. We trusted in our self-achievements. As a result, we justly deserve God's condemnation for our sins. But God, but God, 
has made a way for us and given us this new hope in Jesus Christ. While we're yet far away from God, when we were yet undeserving, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. At the cross, Jesus took God's judgment in our place. Jesus was condemned so that we may go free. We may go free to inherit this imperishable hope. And the only thing for us to do is not to work harder, is to trust Jesus Christ and what He has done for us. God will now include us in His plan. God will bring His plan to a beautiful completion and will make all things right again. My friends, if this is your desire, please feel free to reach out to any of the elders and pastors. You have our email, it's on the website. We'll be glad to walk with you and review with you this good news of Jesus Christ. You know, my beloved family and friends in Grace Baptist Church, I, and I'll speak to those of us who are in the church, I hope you've seen how now God's plan for God's people in Jerusalem was that the nations would come to them. What this means is this. What this means is we need to grow in Christ-likeness and grow as a healthy church community. Because the wonderful thing is this, God has really set us apart as holy when Christ returns. This is definite. When Christ returns, we will be set apart as holy. But right now, let us seek to grow in holiness corporately. And as we do so, we will beautify, we will adorn the message of the gospel okay, through, through our behaviour and action. And as we grow in Christ-likeness, others will see the Christ that our message proclaims. But not only that, for the sake of the nations, we also need to be about partnerships that will proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have an opportunity in our CGs to do just that. As we approach the Christmas season, as a CG, we can form teams that can hold some of your friends at your homes. Of course, while observing COVID-19 precautions. You know, some of us may be good at hospitality and making a meal. Another person among us may be good at starting conversations and making people feel welcome. And perhaps you have one or two among us who are really good at seeding the gospel. Partner in teams to host your non-Christian friends. And together, share the good news of Jesus Christ. Through and in whom we have an imperishable inheritance. My friends, I'm sure there are other ways you can share the gospel. So ask yourself, in what ways can I better display the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to others around me? Or better yet, ask, us, ask ourselves, how can we as a church better show the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to others around us? You know, in a little while, our worship team will be, uh, in closing, will lead us in our last song, There is a Hope. The singer and songwriter Stuart Townend writes, in, in talking about why he wrote this song, Christian hope, however, is very different. Okay? It's not like the hope we see in, 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 uh, in the world. Because Christian hope, these certainties remains hopes, not because they may or may not come to fruition, but because they haven't been fully realized yet. The second, because we're still living on earth 
And the first, because there are and will be trials in which it might not be apparently evident that God is by our side. But this Christian hopes, this hope that we have, these are certain hopes, and this will put everything in our life into perspective. And we can live by faith on the reliable and sure hope that Christ gives us. As, as we sing the song together later, let me just quote from two of the verses. This is how the song goes, reflecting on this sure, certain hope that we have in Christ Jesus. There is a hope that burns within my heart that gives me strength for every passing day. A glimpse of glory now revealed in meager part yet drive all doubts away. I stand in Christ with sin forgiven and Christ in me, the hope of heaven, my highest calling and my deepest joy to make His will my home. And the last verse goes, there is a hope that stands the test of time that lifts my eyes beyond the battling grave to see the matchless beauty of a day divine when I behold His face. When suffering cease and sorrows die and every longing satisfied, then joy unspeakable will flood my soul for I am truly home. My friends, we are not yet home, but we can be sure, we can be certain that we will someday will be because of God's infallible and beautiful promised hope that is to come. Let us pray. Father God, we ask that you lift our eyes to the hope of that day when Christ comes again, when our faith will become sight and we will be in your presence in a new heavens and a new earth, enjoying eternity with you forever. God, cause this hope to arise in our hearts. It may transform us so that we will live to exalt you by making your Son, Jesus Christ, known to the nations. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.